This conference is part two of a two-part series. What follows is message one of five of the Spring 2014 College Conference, recorded Friday, February 28, 2014 in Latham Springs, Texas. Conference title is Life and Building Revealed in the Gospel of John, Part 2. Message title is The Need of the Thirsty, Life's Quenching. I praise the Lord. We want to be filled with the triune God. Amen. Well, um, did everybody get an outline? Okay, good. These outlines look great. Um, let's all read the title of this, this conference together. It's on the front of the green page. You ready? Life and Building Revealed in the Gospel of John, Part 2. <laughs> yes, this is Part 2 of, a, I think it's a two-part series, right? Yeah, so this is the second uh, half of, of a two-part series. And let's just look at the first page there, the table of contents. Uh, you can see we're going to have five messages. Uh, let's just read the titles of the messages. Message number one, the need of the thirsty, life's quenching. Number two, the need of the blind, life's satisfying. Yes. Number three, the need of those under the bondage of sin, life's setting free. Number four. Number five? Yeah, so it's going to be a rich weekend. Rich, rich. Okay, so um, since this is the second um, part of the two-part series, uh, I wanted to give a little review um, before we get started on, on the second half on my message. And basically, um, if you look at message number one, the first point says review of John chapters 1 through 6. Okay. Well, John is a wonderful book. It is a glorious book. If you're ever going to get stranded on a desert island and you can only take one book with you, you might want to consider taking the Gospel of John. It's, it's, it's really one of the top. And basically, this was written by John, who was by that time an aged apostle. He wrote it somewhere around 90 A.D., Okay, the Lord had been crucified and resurrected when? Somewhere around 33, so then you're what? 50 years later, 55 years later. This brother, he, has, uh, he was with the Lord. He was with the early church. He's been through a lot. He's seen a lot. He's experienced a lot. And by this time, he is crystal clear about what God wants, what God is doing, how he's going to do it. And his burden is to... You know, when he wrote this gospel, it was not just to write a history about what Jesus did while he was on the earth. But his burden was, what? To give us, that, that, the, that we could believe, and that God could give us life. Okay, let's read the first verses there, John 20. This is toward the end of the book. But he tells us right here why he wrote this and, and what his intention was. Okay, you ready? Third, verse 30, go. Moreover... Amen. Yes. Amen. 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 These things have been written that you may what? Yes, believe. Yes. And that believing you may have? So John, his is a gospel of life. And he, his burden is that the believers will get life. He realized what this life 
uh, would do if a person would receive this life. This life is not just for life itself. It's not just to save us from eternal perdition. But this life is eventually produces the house of God. This life is for God's building. Okay, so if we go back to um, uh, chapter 1 just briefly, on uh, point A there you see an introduction to life and building. Uh, let's go back to, I have a figure here if you turn the page. We got a couple figures. <laughs> because I know when I've sat in the back before it's hard to see the board. So we, I decided to put them on the page this time. Okay, so in uh, chapter 1, John, you know, there's so many great verses in chapter 1. Verse 1 is, I mean, chapter 1 is chock full of just great verses. But if you kind of step back and look at it, you see a kind of in a way of an overview, you see a, like a bridge of time that takes us all the way from eternity past to eternity future. It starts with the eternal, um, it starts in eternity with the eternal word. And let's read the, well, I'll read it to you. In eternity past, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. That beginning is before creation. Okay, and he is the eternal word. He is the logos. That's the Greek word for word there. And that means the definition, the explanation, the expression of God. Okay, now, then he he has a good pleasure. He wants to do something. And so what does he do? First thing, first step, he created. And let's read John 1, 3 through 4. You see that little tiny print there? All things came into being through him. In him was life. So there's the creation. All things came into being through him, and in him was life. So this one, who's the Logos, who's the Word of God, the expression of God, he embodies life. And when he created everything, he was was already there as life. And we can see that in Genesis as the tree of life in the garden. He was there to be life to man. But did man receive the tree of life? No. So what, you know, I... If I was God, I think I would have just started over. You know, if any of y'all play golf, you know what happens when you hit the ball the wrong direction off the tee? You call it a mulligan. You get to take a mulligan and you start over. If I was God, I would have just said, mulligan. Clear the deck, start over. But praise the Lord, God didn't do that. <laughs> Instead, I mean, it took a long period of time, but eventually in John 1.14, we see God incarnated, right? The eternal God came out of eternity and stepped into time. And let's read John 1, 14 together. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Okay, why did he do that? Well, he did that because we had become sinful, and otherwise we're not going to be able to receive the life. His goal is to give us this life, to make us one with him and one with one another. So uh, not only he needs to be incarnated, but what's the next step on the bridge? Redemption. So John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So praise the Lord for redemption. Have you been redeemed? Amen. Amen. Have your sins been taken away? Isn't that wonderful? How about you look at your neighbor and tell them that their sins have been taken away? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah! It's not a small thing. I like it. It's right in the middle of the bridge. Redemption. Thank you, Lord, for your redemption. And then, uh, then the next thing there is uh, at the baptism, the Spirit descended as a dove. Okay, And, uh, you know, I was thinking you could almost just draw the wiring diagram on here, if you all are familiar with that diagram, where basically God comes down as incarnation in, in the Son, and he's what? 
lives a human life. He's crucified for our redemption. He's resurrected to become the life-giving spirit. And then there, uh, in John 1.32, let's read that verse. I beheld the spirit descending as a dove. So that's the next big step. And then, um, praise the Lord, what is this for? What is this uh, spirit coming down for? What's the next step? Building. John 1.42, Jesus called Peter, no, Simon, he called him Cephas. Let's read the verse. (laughs) You shall be called Cephas, which is interpreted Peter. And Peter means a stone. So uh, the Lord right away calls him stone. What does that mean? What's he going to do with Peter? (laughs) He's going to change him from being a man of clay into a stone for God's building. And then in eternity future, John 151, there's the strange verse where he, you know, he saw, was it Nathaniel? I think he thought, saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. And, you know, Nathaniel's, oh, I believe, I believe. And he says, you believe because I saw you, I said I saw you under the fig tree? And that's, Nathaniel was an easy case, right? But, uh, but he said, you're going to see greater things than these. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, very strange. Angels ascending and descending on Jesus as the Son of Man. Well, the only other place in the Bible that angels ascend and descend is where? In Jacob's dream, back in Genesis 28. And what happened there is he had a dream, and this ladder was set up. And when he woke up, he said, this is an awesome place. And the angels were going up and down. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. This is the house of God, the gate of heaven. Well, eventually we find out that ladder is Christ. Christ is the one that uh, joins earth to heaven and brings heaven to earth. Have you seen Christ as the heavenly ladder? You know, a ladder is a very interesting tool. If, uh, it can be two places at one time. So if you're at the bottom of the house, you know, if you ever worked on the roof before, and you ask the guy at the bottom of the house... Um, I mean, at the bottom of the ladder. Where's the ladder? What does he say? It's right here. And then you ask the guy that's up on top, putting on the shingles or whatever, you ask him, hey, where's the ladder? And he says, it's right here. So where is it? It's in both places. It's in two places at the same time. The Lord is no longer limited as he was in the flesh. He can be two places at the same time. Is he in heaven? You sure? Is he in you? How can that be? Because he's the heavenly ladder. And wherever he is as the heavenly ladder, there is the house of God. There is the gate of heaven. Okay, so that was uh, chapter one, and that was the bridge of time. That was really wonderful to give us a picture of the whole, basically it's a, um, a little summary of the whole Bible. It's a summary of, of, of everything. <laughs> right there, uh, crystallized kind of. Okay, so then we go to um, chapter two, and we'll go back to the outline now. Okay, and in chapter two, we saw two things, life's principle and life's purpose. Now, these things are really critical, and I hope we can remember these after tonight's meeting. Life's principle and life's purpose. Basically, there's two stories there. The first one is the story of the the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, and at the wedding feast, they ran out of wine, okay, and so... That's pretty sad. And so, anyway, they filled up. Uh, Jesus told them to, fortunately, Jesus was there. Amen. You need Jesus at your wedding feast. And uh, he filled up, uh, had them fill up six stone water pots, fill them with water up to the brim. And we found out that those uh, water pots, six, 
is the number of man, and they represent man. And water, when it's standing, represents death, in contrast to water when it's running, which represents, yes, life. So, okay, fill these stumps. In other words, fill man up with death. Fill man up with water all the way to the brim, okay? Now what? Then he comes and he changes the water into wine. And this signifies, the wine, of course, signifies the life juice of the grape. It represents life. So Jesus turned water into wine. He changes death into life. This is his principle. This is what he's going to do throughout the whole Gospel of John. This is what he's going to do throughout our whole life. <laughs> and this is, a, this is wonderful. He changes death into life. Are you dead? Have you been dead? Well, he must have, he must have touched your water pot. Uh, because you're here tonight. Praise the Lord. So, brothers, don't worry. If you're dead sometime, just, Lord, here I am, filled up. Touch me, Lord. Okay, anyway, that's life's principle. And basically all the cases are going to be, we're going to go through about nine, well, we've been through five cases so far. There's four more to go we're going to cover. And this is what the Lord is doing, is he's changing death into life. He is the life giver. And his purpose, let's all read his, um, oh, sorry, I missed the verse. John 2, 11. Let's have the sisters read that. Okay, so very important here. It's, it's, it's a book of signs. We read that earlier. This was the beginning sign. You know, it's coming down uh, I-35, or I guess up I-35. And uh, it's gaining Christ in traffic on I-35. And, you know, the first sign you see, like the first orange one, it's really critical because it says, like, construction, next one-half mile. Okay, that basically puts a context to all the next 12 signs you see along the way. So this beginning of signs, this, the changing death into life is really critical. This is what the Lord is going to be doing all the way through. Okay, um, then we get back to the life's purpose, to build the house of God. And this story was basically they were uh, saying that Jesus was going to, he had been saying something about destroying the temple. Uh, he said destroy, or what did he say? Destroy this temple. No, but I can't remember what the, what was the debate about there? Anyway, they, um, they said, uh, he eventually tells them, destroy this temple, and in, th- and in three days I'll raise it up, referring to the temple of his body. So the Lord's purpose is to build the house of God. Okay, that's what he's doing. He's giving life. He's changing death into life for what? To build the house of God. Okay, so what's life's principle? What's life's purpose? What's life's purpose? And what's, how's he going to do that? Very good. Okay, and then we see uh, life's meeting the need of every case. That was chapters 3 through 11. That's smack dab where we are tonight in the middle of. And let's look at the diagram again on, um, I guess it's the next page for you guys. And we have figure number two, life meeting every man's case. And basically we have uh, nine chapters here, chapters 3 through 11, nine cases, and the Lord as life, he is life. He meets every man's human situation, every man's case. <clears throat> I would really recommend that you guys learn this table uh, during this conference. It will become a source of nourishment to you. And a source of, uh, you know, uh, sometimes if you're looking for a verse, 
If you know a, the story that it's in, it's much easier to find. So if you want to know, where does it say, that, where did Jesus say, I am the bread of life? Well, if you know that the, there's a story in, in chapter 6 of a hungry crowd, then, oh, Jesus, it must be chapter 6. How about where he says, I am the resurrection and the life? Where do you think that is? Chapter 11, where he raises Lazarus from the dead. So this, is, this gives you like a skeleton for so many verses to just uh, be put together in, in, your, you know, in your mind and in your memory. So I would hope you could uh, learn this table. Okay, it's chapter 3, we had uh, Nicodemus. He was a moral man, and even though he was upstanding, moral, righteous, good, so forth and so on, what did he need? Is that good enough? Can you build the house of God with good people? Nicodemus needed to be regenerated. He needed another life. Then in chapter 4, we had the Samaritan woman. She was basically the opposite of Nicodemus. She is immoral. Okay, and she's had five husbands and is now with her working on another one. She didn't even bother to marry him. So she's living in immorality, basically. And what was her real problem? Praise the Lord. The Lord dealt with the real problem. She was not satisfied. She needed to be satisfied. And so the Lord, he offered her living water. And you know what? She took it. (laughs) And she found the real husband, Christ, and she dropped her bucket and went and told the whole town. Praise the Lord. And then uh, chapter 4, uh, this is the only case that there's uh, two in one chapter. Uh, You've got to remember that. Anyway, there's the uh, official son. He's dying, and the Lord just speaks a word and heals him. Praise the Lord for the Lord's word. Then there's the impotent man in chapter 5. What was his problem? He's impotent. Can't do anything. The angel stirs the pool. He can't make it into there. So what? Life, the Lord enlivened him as life again by his word. And then chapter 6, this kind of brings us up to where we were at the very end of the last conference. There was a hungry crowd, and Jesus fed all of them with five loaves and two fishes. And this, their, their need is what? They're hungry, and what did the Lord do? He fed them. So that was life, hungry crowd and life feeding. Tonight we're going to cover uh, the thirsty crowd. They're thirsty, and the Lord quenches their thirst. Tomorrow, uh, we have the adulterous woman. She, was, uh, she represents those in bondage to sin. She was caught in adultery in the very act. And uh, the Lord needed to do what with her? Set her free. So if you're in bondage to sin, the Lord can set you free. Praise the Lord. Then uh, we have the blind man, representing the blind in religion, life sight, and life shepherding. The Lord will give us sight and shepherding. And that's two chapters for one case there. And then chapter 11, we kept the consummate case. Lazarus is completely dead. So all these other people kind of had byproducts of death. Hunger, thirst, bondage to sin, you know, um, blind. But Lazarus was the, the whole enchilada. He was completely dead and stinking for four days. And the Lord Jesus resurrected him from the dead. So the Lord meets the need of the dead by resurrecting them. Okay, great. So that's it for that. Um, I hope you could learn that table. And remember, then when uh, you're looking for the verse that says, um, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again, but the water that I shall give them will become in them, where would you go? Chapter 4. What about the verse that says, you must be born anew? Where's that? Chapter 3. Okay, anyway, I hope you would uh, learn. I learned that a long time ago. In fact, my very first Bible study at the UT campus, uh, the brother was up at the board, 
writing that chart on the board. I was so excited when the brothers asked me to share, and we were on the Gospel of John. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> so I've, I've enjoyed that for many, many years, that, and uh, I've shared it with many people, and it really has helped me to learn a lot of verses, knowing that little uh, chart. Okay, so let's go back now to uh, the outline for today. And we have chapter 7. Let's all read the title. Okay, I kind of misled you. That's point two. Let's read the title. The Need of the Thirsty. Life's quenching. Again, the need of the thirsty. Are you thirsty? I believe there's some thirsty people here because I was really enjoying the, the water of life in the singing. So I knew there were some, some thirsty people here and some drinkers here. Amen. So um, what I want to do first is read the, uh, all these verses. It's almost the whole chapter. I left a few out. Actually, I wish I would have just put all the verses there. But I want to have, a, um, instead of me just reading or y'all just reading, have a, there's a whole bunch of different parties involved here. There's the crowd, there's the brothers, there's the Jews, and there's Jesus. Okay? So I'd like, um, I made some copies here. So this group over here, I need five brothers. How many of y'all up here? One, two, three. To be... Uh, Y'all can be the um, brothers. Okay, y'all are the brothers. Okay, sorry, brothers. Didn't mean to do this on purpose, but y'all can be the, um, the Jews. <laughs> and Because uh, I wanted the sisters to be uh, the crowd. So I need um, ten sisters here. Let's see. Just can you pass those back to the sisters? Just in this area, just the first ten of y'all. Then I need a Jesus. Who's a strong voice brother? Which one? Christian, come on up. He'll be Jesus. And then I need, I need a... I just need a narrator. Who can narrate? Who wants to narrate? Okay, come on up, brother. Come on up. Okay, so you're Jesus. Okay. So the crowd, I mean, sorry about for the rest of y'all, y'all don't have the, the color, but the crowd, you will read when it's yellow highlighted, okay? You're the sisters. Then the brothers, you guys will read when we're on the blue. There you go. Right. And then, um, who else we got here? Oh, the Jews, y'all please read when we're green. And then Jesus, you read when it's uh, the red letter. Okay. Jesus has red letter. Okay, you ready? Okay. All right. Now, we actually have four verses that you guys don't have on your outline. And that is uh, verses 33, 34, 35, and 36. Okay, so if you want to open your Bible, if you just want to listen, if you wonder what happened, that's what happened in verse 33. I added four more to this sheet because Jesus is saying something pretty important there. Okay, so the narrator, you just go ahead and read, and then whenever you get to, like, the colored part, just stop reading and let them read. Okay, you ready? And after these things... I'll come stand between y'all so you can get on the mic a little. Yeah. And after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was near. His brothers therefore said to him, Far from here, and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may behold your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, and himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these For not even his brothers believed in him. Okay, I think if you're reading a part, you have to stand up. 
I mean, you can all stand up now if you want and just read it when it's your turn. Okay, sorry. Yeah, keep going. The Jews therefore sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Well done. Yeah. And there was much mummering about him among the crowds. Some said, He is a good man. But others said, Yet no one spoke openly about him for fear of the Jews. But when it was now the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews therefore marveled and said, How does this man know letters without ever having studied? Jesus therefore answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone resolves to do his will, he will know concerning the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of him who sent him is one. This one is true, and unrighteousness is not in him. Amen. Then some of the people of Jerusalem said, Jesus therefore cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. They sought then to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. But many out of the crowd believed into him and said, The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent attendants to arrest him. Jesus therefore said, I am still with you a little while, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, Where is this man about to go that we will not find him? Is he about to go to the Jews in dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this word which he says? You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Amen. He who believes into me, as the scripture said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Amen. Amen. But this he said concerning the Spirit, whom those who believed into him were about to receive. For the Spirit was not yet, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Some of the crowd, therefore, when they heard these words, said, Others said, So there arose a division among the crowd because of him. 
Amen. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Oh, yeah, I can keep them if you want. Oh, <laughs> Fine. Okay, I, I uh, was doing that so that hopefully we pay a little more attention and realize there's a lot of people in there and they're all saying different things. Um, it was this, okay, this, the, the context here is the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is a big feast uh, at the end of the year. You know, back in chapter 6 was the Feast of Passover. And that feast is also in the first month of the year. So it's the first feast of the year. It's in the first month of the year. We saw last time it, rep- it represents basically a new beginning. When you're beginning, you're what? You're hungry. Okay, this feast is at the end of the year. Okay, it's at the end. You've reaped your harvest. Uh, you're coming up to Jerusalem. And you're there with, with your you know, brothers and with God for seven days feasting. Okay, feasting. Now, Jesus, um, and another thing is, they've been doing this for a long, long time. Every single year for hundreds of years, okay? So what, what, what do you expect you would be doing that month? Would you be looking forward to it? You're going to see all your long-lost brothers from around the, uh, from around the uh, land of Israel, and you're going to bring your top tenth? We're going to eat the best of all the produce of the good land together. Oh, man. I bet they looked forward to that, to that Feast of Tabernacles. And so, this year, the Lord Jesus was the hot topic. I mean, they're all talking about him. You know, even he told his brothers he wasn't going to go up at the beginning, and he didn't. Um, it wasn't his time. But they were trying to push him to go. You need to go. You want people to, you know, recognize you and this and that. You need to go on up. So they're pushing him to go. Uh, everybody's wondering where he is, what's going on. Um, the crowd is just... Anyway, he shows up in the middle of the feast and starts teaching. Uh, starts teaching the people. And think about that. You know, they were... This Feast of Tabernacles, the whole deal was... I, I believe they... Do they still set up that booth at UT uh, Austin? Yeah. They set up at that time of the year, they set up a little booth on the West Mall... Uh, built out of, you know, well, probably built out of cardboard or whatever, but, you know, built out of leaves and, you know, wood or whatever. And it was to represent the time that they, as the children of Israel in the Old Testament, were in the wilderness traveling. And they, they dwelt in tents. Uh, God had his tabernacle by that time, so he had a big tent. And all the, all the Jews dwelt in uh, tents in a very orderly fashion around God's tent. And so this went on for 40 years. The Jews had this journey through the wilderness to go to the good land. Okay, so this was a time to not only, you know, uh, feast and bring together our harvest, but also to remember, you know, remember what had happened and what what God had brought us through and so forth. Okay, if you know the story, there were a lot of miracles back then. You know, they were rescued out of Egypt um, through the Red Sea, and then they got out into the wilderness got the Ten Commandments, um, the, the design of the tabernacle, and then what? They were hungry, right? And so what did God give them? Manna. He gave them manna, which was bread from heaven, and they ate that manna for 40 years. Think what a miracle that was. For 40 years, every day you go out, outside the camp and there's bread on the ground. Okay, is that a miracle? Okay. Another one was they got thirsty. And uh, what happened then? 
the Lord provided for them. They, uh, he told Moses to smite a rock and outflowed uh, water. And this was water enough to quench the thirst of two million people. <laughs> and this rock, you know, then they'd get up. Okay, so they, they would sit there and camp for a while in one place. And they're all camped out. And then all of a sudden, this big pillar of cloud, it was a pillar of cloud by day, and it was a pillar of fire by night, it would move. And so when you saw the pillar move, you packed up your stuff, and, <laughs> and you packed up God's tent, and you moved on to the next stop. When you got to the next stop, you went outside your tent, I mean, not your tent, the camp, you're thirsty again. Guess what's there? The rock is there again. And Paul says the rock followed them. And this rock supplied them with water for 40 years. What, is that a miracle? That's a miracle. In fact, some people believe that the Jews back at Jesus' time actually had a rock there that had a, you know, a cleft in it. And you know, somehow they had like water flowing there to uh, represent you know, that rock. Okay. Um, okay, so here comes this man. Now think about it. He is the reality of the entire thing. He is the reality of the manna. He was the reality of the Passover lamb. He is the reality of that rock. <laughs> Paul says clearly in 1 Corinthians 10, the rock was Christ. He was the reality of God who was in the center in the tent in the middle. The very God who was in the tent in the middle is now here as a man. He's the reality of the pillar of cloud. He's the which represents the Spirit leading us. He's the reality of the pillar of fire, which is the, the Word leading us, or leading them. Okay, so here is the reality of the entire feast that we have been celebrating for hundreds of years. We have been coming together and doing this thing for hundreds of years. My father did it. His father did it. His father did it. His father did it. We are experts at putting on this production of the Feast of Tabernacles. And we come together every time, do the same thing. Dwell in the tents, build up the tents, put up the little rock, do this, do that. And now here, all of a sudden, here comes the man. Here comes the one who is the reality of the whole shooting match. He is the reality of the entire thing. And they've got all these reasonings. All this, you know, arguing back and forth. The brothers, let's look at verse uh, 5. What is verse 5? Let's all read verse 5 together. His brother's very own flesh and blood brothers did not believe in him. Then the Jews are there. They're just, where is he? And then you know, got all this reasoning about him. And the crowd is going back and forth. Um, was anyone thirsty? Was anyone thirsty for the reality that just showed up on the scene? Has anybody been waiting for the Christ to come? Here he is. He's here. Are you thirsty? Anyway, um, praise the Lord. Some were thirsty, and some came to the Lord, and some got the living water. Um, okay, this, the feast of, uh, let's get back to the outline here. Uh, chap, uh, we're on... Uh, point three. Is that right? Yeah. Life's cry to the thirsty ones. Okay, let's read John seven thirty-seven and 39. These are the most crucial verses in the chapter. Ready? Go. Now. 
Amen. Okay, so this actually in the Greek, it means he shrieked. He stood up and he shrieked on the last day. They've been going on here for seven days. He's been, they've been going on with him for a couple days. Uh, and finally, he just gets up. If anyone thirsts, are any of you people thirsty? <laughs> Let him come to me and drink. Does it seem like the whole crowd ran to him? It just doesn't seem like that. <laughs> you know. But anyway, for the ones that were thirsty, he was there. He was there. Man, you know, he had been there probably the previous 30 or so uh, Feast of Tabernacles. But this time, he is here as the reality. He's wide open. Come on in. Come believe. Come receive. Come get it all. Get the reality of all. Um, you know, he never was in, probably in another Feast of Tabernacles after that. That was it. After that, he was crucified, resurrected. And the reason I wanted to read those other verses that weren't in there was because he says, where I am going, you're going to look for me, but you won't find me. Where I am going, where I am, you cannot come. So they were going to look. They're going to try to find him. But where is he? He's no longer on the earth like he was before in flesh. He's now the spirit. Okay, look, where are you going to find him now that he's gone? Now I'm thirsty, finally. I wasn't thirsty when he was here. Darn, I missed him when he was at the feast. I was, just, I was just distracted. I was reasoning with the Jews or whatever. Okay, now, but the, I'm thirsty now. Where do I go? Where should I go now? Well, he tells us right here. He says, you know what? The ones that do thirst and come and drink, what happens to them? Out of their innermost being flows rivers of living water. You want the, you want the rivers of living water now? Where are you going to go? Go to those disciples. Go to those believers. Go to, the, go to the ones that drank already. And what? You'll get living water. Because out of their innermost being is flowing rivers of living water. This is something of God's economy right here. Basically, the disciples all believed. They all, they all came to the Lord. And what happened? After he was resurrected, where was the water coming from? It's coming from the disciples. It's coming out of their innermost being. So, brothers, not only do we get satisfied and our thirst gets quenched, but if we drink and get quenched, what happens? We become a source of living water to others. The Lord flows out of our innermost being to others. Are you here at this conference to drink just for yourself? I hope you're here to drink for yourself. You're the, I'm the first one that needs to be satisfied, right? And needs my thirst quenched. But if I do, guess what's going to happen? That water is going to do something in me. And then it's going to flow right out of me. It wants to flow right out of me to others. Anyway, I'm kind of jumping the gun here a little bit, but that is, that's really like my burden uh, to see that. Um, this, of course... Um, Let's, uh, let's read um, John 5, 39 through 40. I have the brothers on that. Ready? Go.
Oh, come to me, that ye may have life. Come to me and drink. The Pharisees, they were searching those scriptures. Search the scriptures, thinking that they could find life. But if you want life, where do you got to go? You got to go to Jesus. He is the source of life. Sometimes we might go to a meeting, right? Well, when you go to the meeting, you're going to get life? It depends. Depends if you go to Jesus. You got to turn to Jesus. He is the sole source of life. He is the Joseph. He's the Joseph that has all the grain. You want life? What if I have a problem with Jesus? We got a little struggle going on here. <laughs> so what happens? Do we have a lot of life flowing? Here's the struggle. He, you know, I had a struggle with the Lord recently. And uh, what happens when, or you know what happens when I'm struggling with him? I get dried up like a potsherd. I dry up and I dry up. <laughs> and eventually I give in. Amen. Because I need living water. Amen. Okay, so um, let's read point A, 3A. Uh, how about, we'll all read it together. The last day signifying the ending of all the enjoyment of any success of human life. Okay, so uh, how about the sisters on Ecclesiastes 2.11? Ready, sisters, go. So the last day, the entire feast represented like a, a uh, reaching the goal. You, you finally arrive. You are, have a success. Okay, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. We brought in the harvest. The Lord blessed us. We are there, and we are celebrating. And, you know, this can be applied to many different parts of our life. It can be to your education. Maybe when you get, finally get married or whatever, you know, or maybe when you get older. And you're a professor, or a renowned professor, or whatever. And, and when you get there, what will you find out? That you're still thirsty. That it really didn't satisfy. Recently, I was passing by some very, very nice houses. Very, very nice. And, I mean, you just think, you know, something in our mind thinks, man, those people, boy, they have really got it. You know, golly. <laughs> But you know what? If you were in their shoes, you know what you'd be experiencing? Thirst. You'd be thirsty. Just, I mean, I don't know why we try again and again. But eventually we find out, whatever I'm involved in, whatever I'm struggling for, whatever I'm trying to attain, it, it may be necessary, maybe good, maybe great, but what is going to be the end result? I'm going to be thirsty. Brothers, I hope we would learn that. (laughs) I learned that when I was in college. I found out. It's all vanity. Chasing the wind. The the, uh, dad of my son, who was the richest of all of us, he was a miserable man. Uh, I couldn't understand that. He's got all that money. He's got all those things. And he would curse his son and hit his son, and he was just just a miserable old man. Why? He was still thirsty. He was still thirsty. Personally... When I was you guys' age, even younger, I experienced chasing the wind. Have you ever chased the wind? Where'd it go? Chase the wind. Well, you know, I would get, I would get, um, 
I would get everything set up. I'd have the right music, the right friends. We'd go to the right place. We'd have the right gear. You know, if it was to the lake or whatever, we'd have the right tube or the right whatever. Everything was right. I spent a lot of time and effort thinking of all the things that have just so. And finally, the day arrived, and everything was just so. And you know what I was? Thirsty. <laughs> I would chase the wind. It's like they, you know, oh, oh, I'm almost there. It's on, it's on. And then they're like, Mike, we got to go. Well, wait a minute, wait, just a little bit longer. Hang on, wait. You know, I never, I stayed up way, way too late many times chasing the wind and never catching it. You end up going a bit thirsty. But guess what? If you drink Jesus, what happens? You get satisfied. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You guys are surrounded by people that are thirsty on that college campus. That's why if we could realize this now, okay, I realize all these things are just going to make me thirsty. All the success. I do want to have a success. I want to be successful. But you know what? I'm not counting on that to be my satisfaction. I'm going to drink Jesus. I don't know who, is David Rodriguez here? Yeah. Well, I saw on his Facebook that uh, some of the, uh, the Seahawks, right, they uh, posted up this video like the day before the Super Bowl, and they basically testified, well, even if we win, we want to win, but even if we win, it's not going to satisfy us. Only Jesus satisfies. I thought that was so good. These guys realized, yes, of course they want to win the Super Bowl. They're going to play their hearts out. But they, don't, they realize this isn't what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. So, brothers, if we realize this now, and we become the drinkers now, then when we're in other situations and other people reach their successful moment and they're empty and thirsty, what will we do? We'll give them some water. <laughs> we'll have water to give them. You know, I had a roommate in college, and his, um, he was a... 4.0 in physics, all the way through. Never got a B. And uh, <laughs> he really outshined me, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> and he was in the band on top of that. I mean, just, God, the guy was just had a perfect life. But eventually, um, but at the same time, I was starting to enjoy the Lord with the brothers and drink the living water. And it was starting to flow out of me a little bit. Well, eventually, he had a crisis. His girlfriend, high school girlfriend or whatever, broke up with him, and he was crushed. And, you know, I was trying to comfort him and this and that. And anyway, one night, we laid down in our beds in those dorms back then. You were both in the same room. Your beds were kind of like parallel on opposite sides of the wall. We laid down, turned off the light, and uh, he opened up, and he said, Mike, you know, you have something that I don't have, and I want it. And I got so excited <laughs> because I had been drinking the living water. I sat up on my bed, just ecstatic. I said, you know what it is, Carl? It's Jesus. <laughs> That's what I told him. And, and he prayed right then to receive the living water. He was thirsty. And fortunately, I was drinking and had the water to give him. So water flowed out. Amen. So let's uh, go on to B here. Um, the cry to come and drink the living water. Uh, we have John four ten through 14. How about the brothers on these, these two verses? You ready, brothers? Go. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is, and who it is that you are asking, 
So this was the Lord talking a couple chapters earlier to the woman at the well, and he's offering her a drink of water. Now, if you remember, um, he, she had to do something to get the water, though. There was a little bit of a, a deal she had to make. And what was the deal? You remember? Basically, she had to confess her sins. You know, <laughs> so the Lord, you know, trying to kind of hint around to her um, about being married. And finally, she confessed. And then when she did, she got the living water. So this just goes to show, you know, there, and this chapter, I think, that we just read, there are some enemies or frustrations to drinking. And there's some of them in this chapter. Our sins, I think, is obvious, and a real obvious one. Back in chapter 4, um, if you want to drink, if you want to drink a real big drink tonight, as soon as you're done or, you know, tonight, spend some time alone and confess your sins. Confess some sins. Man, you will start getting filled with living water. Because the sins, what they do is they frustrate the flow of the living water. They separate us from God. So, you know, I personally am not very good at confessing my sins. Sorry. Um, And the reason is, is because I rarely think I'm wrong. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if any of y'all are like that. But uh, even if I tell you I'm sorry and, you know, I'm really sorry. What what do you think I'm thinking on the inside? (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm sorry, but it's because A, B, C... Uh, we have so many justifications. We're self-righteous. We're, we're right in our own eyes. To get a man to truly repent requires a humongous amount of light from God. I'm convinced. So, Lord, may your living light scatter all my night and everything make bright so we could get freed up from all that stuff that's keeping us from drinking the living water. You can even be in this conference and not be drinking. You got a big old bunch of sins clogging up the, the well. Back in the Old Testament, they'd dig a well, Abraham dig a well, and then the, I don't remember if it was the Philistines, the Philistines, right? The Philistines would come and fill it up. Go back and the, what happened to my well? You know, Isaac digs a well, the Philistines come. It was a battle for the well. There's a battle today. The Lord, if listen, if if Drinking living water is going to fulfill God's purpose. What do you think Satan wants to do? He wants to fill up that well. So, you know, you spend some time tonight, dig out, confess your sins. The Lord shines on you about some things. Oh, hallelujah, I'm drinking. Then tomorrow, what's the devil going to do? Or try to do through his his world or the flesh or whatever. Pretty soon. I mean, I drove up here, and, um, and this is in the daytime. When I get here, my windshield is just coated with bugs. I got out, I looked at it, I said, I cannot believe. I didn't even see any bugs hit my windshield. There's all this junk all over my windshield. And I realized that's the way I am during the day. You know, I just get caked with gunk from either my own self coming out of my own mind or out of, uh, out of, out of from the world. Even just coming up I-35, there's some billboards that put a little junk on you. So anyway, we can get cleaned out. And uh, anyway, there are some other things in this chapter. There's unbelief, uh, even his own brothers. There's uh, man's glory. Are you one who seeks man's glory? Let's ask it this way. Is there anybody in here that doesn't seek man? <laughs> we are seekers of man's glory. And as a result, they could not... The Lord was the only one there that was actually seeking God's glory, that was actually trying to please just the Father. He didn't care what all those other people thought. 
you know, I have to confess, I, you know, I'm up here. I'd like to be one that could say, I don't care what any of y'all think. I just want to care what the Lord thinks. You think that's true? No. I care what everybody thinks. It's terrible. You know, <laughs> Lord, deliver us from self-glory. It frustrates us from drinking the living water. I want to get up and share. Well, what, 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 if, what will so-and-so think of me? You know, I want to call on the Lord. Oh, what will my roommate or my neighbor think of me? I mean, we're always worried about what somebody's thinking about us. That frustrates us from drinking the living water. You know, I had one experience. It, this was actually uh, at, a, at a training meeting. And, you know, uh, we had, it was a bigger crowd than this. And Benson Phillips was sharing a message. I don't know if any of you all know him. But um, anyway, he was sharing a great message on 1 Corinthians. He asked if anybody could share on all the uh, items of Christ in 1 Corinthians. So Neil volunteered. And, you know, Neil Wilson came went up there. And he waxed forth and hit every one of the 20 items of Christ, or 21, uh, in 1 Corinthians. It was tremendous. Then he says, well, is there anybody that can give us the, I think it's 11, it's either 9, I think it's 11 major problems in Corinthians. Tom, you might have been there, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember it, because I was the idiot that raised his hand. And me and a brother, a young brother, had memorized those in the car, going down from Irving or wherever. We had memorized all the problems from the outline of 1 Corinthians. So I was just sure I knew them. And I raised my hand. And he says, oh, yeah, brother, come on up. And so I go up in front of all my fellow trainees. And my mind went completely blank. I mean, I could only remember like four of them. And even Benson was trying to help me and feed me some of them, you know, and everything. And it was one of the worst experiences of my life. I, it was a disaster. A disaster. And I went back during, my, um, during the break, or you know, the, in the afternoon you have like a little rest time. And I was just laying there in my bed just kicking myself again and again. You idiot. I can't believe you did that. I cannot believe that. You know, on and on and on. Why in the world? And, uh, okay, finally... The question came, you know, me, it was probably just me asking myself, but why does this bother you so much? Why are you so bothered? And I just realized it's because I care what all these people think about me. If I didn't care, I I failed. Who cares? Sorry. My my bad. (laughs) But I just could not get over it. And the light came. The Lord shined on me. You care so much for what people think about you. I had to confess that's true, and I got, I got totally liberated Amen. from that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, then there's, uh, you know, religion going on there. Sin, okay, uh, I asked my wife, I said, you know, because we've been drinking for a while, my wife and I, drinking the living water. I said, so Betty, uh, <laughs> Betty, um, what has frustrated you? And, you know, you know, looking back, what's kind of been a frustration to you? you know, keeping you from the living water. And so I hope she wouldn't mind I, I say this. Um, she said, anxiety about the future. So worried. You know, who am I going to marry? You know, what degree am I going to get? Well, what about this? What about the children? Worry, worry, worry. Anyway, she just felt like she'd been ripped off so much from drinking the living water by all her anxiety. I personally remember when I was a young brother, I got ripped off by a girl. Um, 
I had come into church life. I was enjoying the Lord, drinking the living water. And, you know, after a short while, for some reason, I started thinking about this, you know, girl that I used to know and all this stuff and, and just decided I wanted to, you know, take her out or whatever. And pretty soon I got all wrapped up my whole life with this person who was not in the church life. And I got out of the church life. I got out of the drinking. I was basically like Isaiah, I believe it's in Isaiah, it says I was, create, uh, what is it, hewing out a cistern, a broken cistern which holds no water. And after 10 months, the Lord had mercy on me, because after 10 months, I was so thirsty. And I would just remember the brothers and sisters singing, and I would remember them praising the Lord, and I would remember drinking the water, the fountain that never runs dry, and I would weep in my bed at night, just remembering you know, the, the, the place where there's water. <laughs> so you know what I did? I had to say goodbye to her. Goodbye. I'm, I'm taking another way. I'm taking this way of drinking. And she was very, very sad, and it was very hard to do. But praise the Lord. I gave, gave her up, and guess what happened with that water? It started flowing again. So brothers, we need to keep the water flowing. Whatever it takes. Okay, let's read point C. The flow of living water. Okay. I'm obviously not going to have enough time to finish this outline. So let's just hit the kind of the main thing here. This, you know, it says, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers. But we know that like in Revelation 22, there's only one river. The spirit is represented by one river. So how, why does it say rivers? And this is the spirit in many different aspects as he is mm, assimilated or experienced by us. So what we have to realize here is that this water is living and it does something inside of you. It's not just, you know, there in kind of a sterile way, but it does something inside of you. And what happens is, let's, uh, let's or I'll just read them to you. Um, look at all these different rivers. There's the river of love, okay, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Anybody need self-control? Am I describing you here? Lowliness, compassion. Okay, I'm not describing myself, that's for sure. Um, godliness, righteousness, holiness, and purity. Who are we describing here? We are describing Jesus. <laughs> that is Jesus right there. Those are all the divine attributes which were expressed in his human virtues. And when we drink the living water, you know what happens? We start experiencing Jesus. He starts making us the same as he is. Our mind and motion and will start to uh, take on different feelings and different thoughts and different intentions. Have you experienced that? You know, if you drink the living water, I personally am not a kind person. Okay? And if you ask me to be kind, it's like asking a dog not to bark. I might be able to be kind for a little while, but eventually the kindness wears out. But who is kind? Jesus. And when I drink him, you know what happens? Spontaneously, a little river of kindness flows out. 
Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to see Jesus flowing out of you? <laughs> Hallelujah. Brothers, this is, this is God's organic salvation. He is making us the same as he is by flowing, by us drinking him, and then he starts flowing out, and our entire being gets rearranged, rearranged into his image. So we, like that song says, a child of hell. I once a child of hell could in his image shine. Reality has come. He's the reality of all these things. Okay, um, you know, sometimes if you, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you've been enjoying the Lord, people just like to be around you. (laughs) It's like, why do these people all stay around me? Well, because you know what's coming out of me? Reality. Love. Kindness. Mercy. Compassion. You know, just on and on and on, right? They're seeing Jesus expressed. They're seeing God expressed in our human virtues. Why? Because we've been enjoying him. And they like that. They may not even have words for it. They may not even have, you know, any idea what's going on. But they're attracted because finally the universe, the purpose in the universe has been fulfilled and God has gotten into man and God is being expressed through man. So this is marvelous. These rivers do something in our being. Okay, then let's go to point D. Um, D, all together. The Spirit... Okay, this is really crucial. The Spirit was not yet the um, King James. You know, they, that's a very strange kind of way to say something. The Spirit, you know, those who believed in Him were about to receive the, the Spirit... Because, but he was not yet. Okay, so to make it easier for people to understand or for themselves to understand, they added the word given. Uh, but that changes the meaning. If you had the word given, they did keep it in italics at least. But if uh, we say the pie is not given or the pie is not yet, there's a difference, right? The pie is not yet means it's not ready yet. It may be in crust stage. It may be in filling stage. It may be in cooking stage. But it's not yet. But um, not yet given means what? It's a little different. I have it in the refrigerator, and I'm not giving it out just yet. Right? <laughs> so this is, this is uh, very important that we see this. This is a crucial revelation. And not many people understand this. Or, you know, basically the Spirit has always been. He's eternal. Christ offered himself to the eternal spirit. Genesis 1-2, the spirit of God brooded on the face of the water. So was the spirit there at creation? Yes. So the spirit has always been there. Uh, and we have a bunch of verses here that show kind of a, how he's progressively revealed. Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord Jehovah is upon me. But when Christ was incarnated, he's now called the Holy Spirit. And something changed. Okay, something is going on here. God is preparing a drink for us in Christ. Why? Because we need it. (laughs) Okay? We need more than just God himself and his divinity. We've got serious issues, serious problems. Okay? How's he going to deal with that? How's he going to bring us into his image? How's he going to make us the same as he is in life and nature? That we could be joined to him and one with one another. Well, he has to prepare a marvelous drink. And what he does is in his process, he added all the ingredients of his process um, to himself as the spirit. 
So his humanity got added. His death was added. His resurrection was added. His ascension was added. So eventually, this was all being added or compounded, incorporated into himself. So when he said the spirit was not yet, that's the spirit he's talking about. This all-inclusive, compound spirit that meets your every need, deals with your every problem, and, build, and uh, changes you to be the same as he is, that you could be built up to be the house of God. So that is the spirit that was not yet. And uh, here, in, I'm kind of going through these verses in E right now. Uh, we have in middle of the way through there, Acts 16, 7, the spirit of Jesus. This spirit had never been talked about in the Old Testament. There was no spirit of Jesus in the Old Testament. What is this spirit of Jesus? Is this another spirit? No, this is the same spirit. But now it has the element of, in, of Christ's human living and his, his human living with its sufferings and his crucifixion. That's all, that's all part of Jesus. If you talk about Jesus, you're talking about a man. You're talking about his human living. You're talking about his crucifixion. So the spirit of Jesus. Then we have the spirit of Christ. And in Philippians 1.19, we know that this will turn out to salvation through your petition and the bountiful supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Spirit, Jesus, Christ. It's almost like if you had the wiring diagram, you could go, spirit, God, Jesus, incarnation, human living, Christ, resurrection. Got the, oh, you got the whole, whole thing there. Spirit, Jesus Christ. Compound title. And then here, um, let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 45 together. The last Adam. A life-giving spirit. Was that title used in the Old Testament? What did God want to do with man in the beginning is give him life. But we couldn't receive it, right? But now, praise the Lord, after Christ's process, we can receive the life-giving spirit. He gives us life. Then we have um, Romans 8, 13, B. Brothers, go. But... Yeah, so here we have now death. Okay, so I'm a corrupt man, and I am a corrupt man. I have a corrupt heart because of the fall. Out of my heart issues all kinds of unclean things. Okay, what do I need? Well, I need termination. I need termination. That's the only thing that's going to help me, is I need to be put to death. My, uh, my mind, the thoughts coming out of my mind, the, all the stuff in my being needs to be terminated. And the Lord, he put his, the reality of his death into the spirit. When I get the spirit, I get the death of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Brothers, I don't know if y'all pray that way. You may pray, Lord, thank you for dying for my sins. But Lord, how about, how about Lord, thank you for terminating me? Lord, thank you. I come to you right now for termination. Lord, my urgent need right now is to be terminated. All this rebellion in my heart, all this whatever, just terminate me. Well, if you open and receive the Spirit, you'll get it. You'll get free. Holy and glorious freedom. By enjoying the Spirit, the compound Spirit, which has the element of the death of Christ in it, and then what? How about when it's time to go to the meeting? Or it's time to speak for the Lord? Or it's time to do anything for God? We find out we are dead, (laughs) right? So what do we need? We need resurrection, resurrection life. 
So when we, guess what's in the Spirit? God knew we needed resurrection. He knew we needed life, so he put resurrection right into the Spirit. He put the death of Christ into the Spirit for our corrupt life. He put the resurrection life in the Spirit for all of our death. So guess what? Death for your corrupt life and life for, your, life for your, uh, all your sin and death. Or life for all your death. Praise the Lord. Brothers, if these elements were not, if, if the Lord had not God brought all of this into the Spirit, if we didn't have such a wonderful Spirit today, there would be no way for Him to flow out of us as rivers of living water to change us and transform us into His image. And there would be no way for us to be built up with anybody else. How can I be built up with you when I'm full of grossness, right? Uh, I'm full of selfishness, ambition, pride, uh, self-seeking, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I can just go on ad infinitum of what we're filled with. But when we enjoy Christ, all of that gets terminated. And instead, we become flowing rivers, living water. We have love. Can you be built up with somebody who's loving? Somebody who's joyful? Somebody who's at peace? Somebody who's kind? Hey, if you're kind and I'm kind, you think there's a chance we might be built up together? Anyway, brothers, praise the Lord for the Spirit. This is the Spirit that the Lord was promising. It wasn't yet when He was there. Why? Because He was still in the flesh. He hadn't finished the process. How could He add the death of Christ, His death, to the Spirit when He hadn't been crucified yet? So those people who heard Him on that Feast of Tabernacles, they were about to receive... Believe you are about to receive, and on the day of resurrection, at the end of this gospel, Jesus comes to them and breathes into them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They got the drink. And listen, the Peter that stood up on the day of Pentecost was not the same Peter that that you see in the gospels. He had been rearranged. He looked more like Jesus, didn't he? And he was flowing out living water. He was built up with the brothers. So, uh, praise the Lord. I didn't have time to get into the type of the compound ointment, but there, you know, if you guys want to get into it later, there's another figure back there and everything. Uh, just a rich, rich type in the Old Testament that shows us uh, how the Lord added all these ingredients to himself. Uh, so we no longer have a spirit that wouldn't meet our need. But we have a wonderful spirit that meets every need. Life meets every case, totally transforms us, into his image so that we could be built up as the house of God. Amen. Okay, so uh, maybe if you'd like to share something, we have a little sharing. I guess you have to come to the microphone. We only have a few minutes.